welcome to This Week in Video Games, episode 64. My name's Tom Kershaw, and this is a podcast all about the world of video games. So this week, I've been playing all of the things. So PlayStation 5 is out, and I've been checking out Astro's Playroom and Godfall. Also, been checking out the new hardware, plus some of the classics on PS Plus, which is a great new feature of the PS5. Destiny 2 Beyond Light also came out, and I've been getting into that in a big, big way. So it's a pack show. Let's get to it. Welcome to the show everyone, I hope you're well and having a good week. Well, did you manage to get your hands on a next generation console? I was super lucky and managed to get mine on a PlayStation 5 and the console was released here in the UK on the 19th of November, seven days after our friends in the US and Canada and I got the console, a controller charging kit which is absolutely great, plus Demon Souls and Spider-Man Mars Morales. I got the standard edition PS5 so it can double up as an Ultra HD 4K Blu-ray player. And at first, I didn't think I was going to use that very much, but I did pre-order Tenet, which is coming out on the 14th of December, so I'm really, really looking forward to that. I also downloaded a few games including Bug Snacks, FIFA 21 and The Last Guardian from PS Plus, having missed out on that one first time round. And overall, I'm super pleased with the machine, and by the looks of things, very lucky to get hold of one, considering all of the horror stories I've heard in terms of deliveries getting stolen or consoles being replaced with bags of rice or grain. Ugh, it's absolutely disgusting. I did have my finger on the button with the Xbox Series X, I did have one in the cart, but then I wobbled, so I decided against it in the end, but I really wish I got one now, as I am suffering from some serious FOMO. I do have Xbox Game Pass for PC, and I would love to play some of the more mindless games on the sofa, especially as I upgraded my setup recently with a new 4K OLED TV, which is absolutely perfect for the new generation of consoles. Since then, I have discovered the wonderful world of stock tracking and different websites like that, so keeping my ear close to the ground when it comes to the Xbox Series X stock. And the general feedback I've been seeing is that the PS5 seems to be received slightly better, with the controller being the difference maker at the moment. But I do need to get my hands on one to really decide. So this week in Video Games Podcast has been off for a few weeks and apologies for that. It has been a bit of a roller coaster as I got engaged and my better half moved in with me and we're currently planning the wedding. So that is absolutely awesome. And thankfully, she's a video game fan too and we've been playing some co-op games, which has been super, super fun. Over the past few weeks also, I've upgraded the This Week in Video Games merch store. So if you're interested in that, please do have a look. There's t-shirts, there's masks, there's mugs, there's all kind of little products there. So have a look in the description and the show notes down below and check out that merch if you want to. Right, well that is enough intro waffle from me, so let's get into what I've been playing this week. Well this week has been one of the busiest times in games for a long time but it's like Christmas and birthdays all rolled into one so I can't really complain. I've been testing out the PS5 and all that comes with it so I'm going to get into my review of the machine first up in the show. And then Astro's Playroom, that comes bundled with the PS5 which is an absolute joy to play and I'll bring you my first impressions of that game later on in the show. Destiny 2 Beyond Light finally came out after a few months of delay, and the reception has been mixed given the sun setting, which is the removal of much of the game and some of the weapons. But the new content seems to be going down well, including the new location Europa and the raid in the Deepstone Crypt. And I'll bring you my review of that later on in the show, and I also squeezed in a little bit of Godfall, the new looter slasher from Counterplay Games. 
First of all this week, let's get into my review of the PlayStation 5. Sony's PlayStation 5 is finally upon us with a huge build-up in 2020, so this is a big, powerful console that's super fast and offers some exceptional graphics and audio experiences, as well as the DualSense controller, which feels like a real differentiating factor in the latest edition of the battle between the big console brands. So there's upgrades across the board in terms of hardware, software and user experience, making this a fantastic follow-up to the highly popular PlayStation 4. So first impressions are often everything, and the first impression that you get with the PlayStation 5 are it's absolutely massive. So it's 38 centimeters tall, 25 centimeters deep, and 10 centimeters wide. So technology is often designed to blend into the home, but the PlayStation 5 stands out and demands your attention. So the unit itself is big, and this time it comes with white faceplates rather than the black design of the PlayStation 3 and the PlayStation 4. So it's similar in size to a small PC, and the PlayStation 5 can stand upright or lay on its side. It comes with a little stand that almost makes it look like it's floating. It looks like some kind of space-age technology that may have been developed by NASA, and only time will tell as to whether this will be a good decision or bad in the not-too-distant future. When the unit is on, the signature PlayStation Blue beams out from the top of the console with varying colours depending on the mode of the console and which state it's in. So this console is not going to be something that's going to be hidden away in a TV unit. It demands space and it catches the eye. And personally, I'm warming to the design, so when I first saw the Xbox Series X, and the PlayStation 5, I tended to prefer the Xbox Series X simpler design, but the longer that the PlayStation 5 sits in my living room, the more I do tend to like it. So in terms of the ports, so on the front we've got the USB A and C with two more super speed USB A ports on the back, and then we've got the standard HDMI out, which supports up to 8K variable refresh rate. Also on the back there's an Ethernet port and the PlayStation 5 also supports Wi-Fi and Bluetooth 5.1 and the brick AC adapter is gone and that's been replaced with a simple power cord that goes straight into the wall. So that is the outside of the console, so let's check out the inside and its capabilities. So this is a fast console, you know, it's up to the standard of desktop PCs on launch and there's a custom 825GB SSD paired with an AMD Zen 2 CPU with 16GB of GDDR6 memory, meaning your games are going to run super fast. So the SSD is slightly smaller than the 1TB drive found within the PlayStation 4 Pro and I imagine the hard drive space is going to be a problem this generation with games like Call of Duty nearing 200 gigabytes. So, so the CPU and RAM do have a significant impact on loading times for games, and you're going to notice this immediately with new games as well as improvements to old games. Fast travel in games is snappy, and we're really going to notice this feature in new games such as Ratchet & Clank. We can load into whole new worlds in a second. So previous-gen games like Ghost of Tsushima, Last of Us 2, Red Dead 2 and Destiny 2 have all seen significant improvements in loading times, and this could have a massive impact on the game design itself. So at the moment, when things load, we see tooltips and game hints, plus sometimes we're placed in winding corridors or crawl spaces to help load environments. Fundamentally, we're going to see some changes, but we don't really get a glimpse of the opportunities at the moment because many games 
have been released across different generations. It's most likely going to be into 2022 before we see dedicated next-generation games designed with all the new PS5 features in mind. Ray tracing is going to be a big deal this generation, so this is a rendering process that creates realistic lighting effects by tracking the way that light moves and reflects in the environment. So ray tracing offers the potential for real-time global illumination, meaning textures and detail look better than they ever have done before, and that includes water, reflections, materials, and features on a person like skin and hair. So, as I mentioned before, I did upgrade to an OLED 4K TV at the same time as the PS5, and the graphics are just simply the best I've ever seen. So the frame rates have been improved too, with up to 120 FPS support. So Destiny 2's PvP is going to offer 120 FPS with their next-gen upgrade when that's released on the 8th of December, but games like Call of Duty use this feature already. And PS5 supports up to 8K with future-proofing in mind, but hardly any people have 8K TVs at the moment, and currently it does support native 4K with HDR, and games tend to offer graphic mode choices, which allow you to prioritise visuals over performance if you want to. So for example, you can run games at 30 frames per second, but with higher fidelity visuals, or you can run a stable 60 frames per second with slightly lower grade visuals. The audio has been given an upgrade alongside with the visuals with the new 3D audio engine, and this allows many more audio sources to be processed at the same time. So Sony released their own headphones at launch to support the new tech, and they really make you feel like you're in the middle of the game environment. So if you have a standard edition PS5, then you also get an Ultra HD Blu-ray drive, and this allows for more data to be contained on a disc, which is going to be hugely beneficial to game developers. And this also means you can use the PS5 as a UHD Blu-ray player, so if you want to use this as a media device, then you can. Next up, we've got the DualSense controller. So Sony publicised their haptic feedback and adaptive triggers as one of their first press releases related to the PS5, and many people kind of shrugged and kind of moved on. Now this controller is in our hands, you can see why Sony came out on the front foot with this one. You know, it definitely has that wow factor that next generation consoles deserve, and could be a differentiating factor when people decide between the PlayStation 5 and the Xbox Series X. The form and the weight has changed and it feels like a quality product. It is hard to convey in videos and text, but this feels good in the hands and also has a certain heft to it. The buttons are responsive and easy to access and overall it feels really good in the hands. PlayStation long kept with the DualShock style of the pad and the design didn't change much from the PS3 and the PS4, but this is somewhat more elegant, more curves than straight lines, and feels much more like an Xbox controller than previous generation PlayStation controllers. So it looks good and it feels great, and the haptic feedback and the adaptive triggers are the real innovation allowing you to feel different textures in games like never before. So if you're running on sand or ice then you can feel it in your hands via the haptic feedback, and the adaptive triggers can provide resistance resistance against you pressing the buttons based on scenarios in games. So I'm looking forward to using the bow in Horizon Forbidden West, or perhaps how the God of War team are looking to implement some new features. There's a built-in microphone in the controller which works okay for party chat if you don't want to shell out on an expensive mic. It does the job well, although I imagine most gamers would want something dedicated for this feature. Much like before, you can blow into the mic in some games, which feels a bit gimmicky as ever, but the ease of communication features definitely outweigh the gimmicks. There's also a create button there now instead of share, which allows for screen capture and you can instantly broadcast to Twitch or YouTube at the click of a button. 
Next up, let's have a look at the games. So Sony's launch lineup is quite strong this time with a console exclusive for Demon Souls. Many of the other launch titles are launching across generation with Spider-Man Miles Morales landing on both PS4 and PS5. So bundled with PS Plus are some of the biggest games from the PS4 era, including God of War, Monster Hunter World, Last of Us Remastered, Uncharted, Persona 5, Bloodborne and many more. And Bugsnax is also available for a free download during the launch month. So as for the PS5 games out now, we've got Assassin's Creed Valhalla, Call of Duty Black Ops Cold War, Demon's Souls, Destiny 2 Beyond Night, Fortnite, Marvel's Spider-Man Mars Morales, The Pathless, Watch Dogs Legion, Yakuza Like a Dragon and Bug Snacks. And in terms of games coming soon, we've got Cyberpunk 2077, Far Cry 6, Final Fantasy 16, Gran Turismo 7, Hitman 3, Horizon Forbidden West, Immortals Phoenix Rising, Kenner, Bridge of Spirits, Ratchet and Clank, Rift Apart and Resident Evil Village. So let's have a look at the user experience. So setting up the machine was nice and easy and there are options to bring across your data from the PS4 and you can even set this up through the mobile app which I personally didn't try but this option is there available for you if you want to give it a go. Setup was nice and easy and very fast also asking me if I had any games that I wanted to load whilst the setup process was taking place which was a really nice touch. When you log into the PS5, you're greeted with your avatar and you can set up multiple accounts to manage multiple users if required. The PlayStation interface has been given a fresh look, although it does have a familiar feel to it as well, so if you've been a PlayStation 4 user, you're not going to get lost. The cross-media bar is still here organising your games and apps, plus access to the PlayStation Store and PlayStation Plus. So as you navigate across the screen, each game provides a new splash screen image with some music from the game, which gives you a little taster, theming the whole interface around the game that you're focused on. Pressing the PlayStation button on the controller brings up a new control center menu which can be customized if you want. And here you have common functions like home, turn off the console, notifications, download, music, etc. And there are some really nice accessibility options for players with varying needs like chat transcription, closed captions, button remapping and also color in version 2. The user experience as a whole feels like it's had a lick of paint with some nice feature improvements but, but familiar enough to know immediately how to navigate around. It feels like a worthy shop window for this next generation machine. So in summary, the PlayStation 5 is a worthy successor to the PlayStation 4 with upgrades in every department. The graphics look incredible, it's fast and it's also quiet too. It's full of features that are future proof, meaning that the console is going to stay relevant for years to come. On the games from the launch lineup, it's slightly lackluster, with only Demon's Souls and Sackboy dedicated PS5 games, although launch lineups always tend to be a little bit hit and miss. So perhaps the most surprising of all is the controller. You know, I didn't expect to be blown away by the input device, but this is right up there with the best controllers ever made. The PlayStation 5 is an impressive device, albeit very large, but at the end of the day, the form will be forgotten. It's definitely all going to be about the games. So the release date was the 19th of November 2020 in the UK and the 12th of November in the US, Canada, Japan and South Korea. It's £449, $499 for the standard edition and £349 and $399 for the digital edition. Well that is it for my review of the PlayStation 5. Next up, let's have a look at Astro's Playroom.
So Astro's Playroom is a launch game that comes bundled with the PS5. It's a cute and fun journey through PlayStation history, plus demonstrates the capabilities of the PlayStation 5 DualSense controller absolutely perfectly. There's a feel-good factor here, so much so that you might be fooled into thinking that Nintendo themselves made it. So Astro has previously been on adventures in PSVR, however this time it's his job to show up what the PS5 can do. Astro previously starred in Astro Bot Rescue Mission, and at first there were eyebrows raised as to why Astro was coming out of VR and back onto the flat screen. Well, fears can be put away because this is a fantastic platformer in its own right with personality, graphics, audio and a dose of nostalgia too. Astro has so much character in his own right, he's almost plucked straight from a Pixar movie. He's expressive, his smile and his eyes, they're full of life, and if you leave him alone for a little while, he'll even start waving. He's charming, and it's easy to fall in love with the little guy from the start. Sony's history is plastered all over Astro's Playroom, and it feels like a massive celebration of the last 25 years of Sony's achievements since the original PlayStation. Astro plays with a PS Vita if you leave him for a few minutes, and the worlds themselves are styled on PlayStation Generations. There's a bunch of PlayStation collectibles to be found in each world, so if you've grown up through the PlayStation Generations, there's going to be plenty here for you. And if you're a younger player and this is your first experience, then you'll likely be dazzled by the graphics and the new controller, but there's plenty in here for older audiences too. And I've already compared this game to something Nintendo or Pixar would be proud of, and for good reason. First of all, the platforming feels great in its own right, with Astro being very responsive and feeling really good. Perhaps due to the success of the DualSense controller, you know, ice skating has never been more fun. The feeling of Astro jumping, flying through the air and landing feels great, and is up there with any great 3D platformer from the last 10 years. The game in essence is a showcase of the PlayStation DualSense controller. As you platform and navigate your way through different areas of the game, you're going to feel the environment right in your hand. Whether you're walking around on sand or grass or skating on ice, you can just feel Astro in your hand. It's something that's hard to convey through reviews and YouTube videos, but if you get the chance to experience this haptic feedback, then it's definitely very much worthwhile. It will be interesting to see over time how many other developers work this tech into their games. No doubt, Sony Studios will be using the adaptive triggers and haptic feedback in their flagship titles like God of War, Ragnarok, Ratchet & Clank and Horizon Forbidden West. So a particular highlight of the DualSense is using the touchpad to zip something up early on in the game, where you can feel every tooth of the zip as it climbs. It's an amazing feeling. You can almost compare the feeling of the DualSense to the first time you try a VR headset. It's really impressive and everyone should seek out the experience to at least try once. As well as the haptic feedback, there's also the triggers to contend with related to the DualSense controller. So Team Asobi have done a great job with the controller. It's probably worth noting at this point that this is a team who creates the hardware for Sony. So they've been directly involved with the design and the build of the controller itself. So as well as creating amazing VR and platform experiences, they're also a genius team when it comes to making hardware. The DualSense is perhaps the differentiator that may decide purchases between the PlayStation 5 and the Xbox Series X. In the previous generation, there wasn't really much to split them, but this time around we've got the controller. So when Sony first came out and mentioned they were investing in something called haptic feedback, I think many thought it would be a gimmick and perhaps something just like HD rumble. But this feels different, quite literally. Now, it's a great feature and could be the deciding factor for many. 
Astro's Playroom is a great showcase for the PlayStation 5 and it's one of the best bundled games that comes with the system I've ever seen and it's really heartwarming. It's a fun introduction to your brand new console generation and this one may have flown under the radar with other big hitters like Demon's Souls and Spider-Man Miles Morales. They may have been stealing the headlines but this one is really worth your time and attention. So you'll come for the DualSense demo but Astro will more likely charm you into staying to hang out with him and his friends. So the developer was Sony Japan Studio and team Asobi. The platform is PlayStation 5 and it was originally released on the 19th of November 2020. Well that is it for my review of Astro's Playroom and next up, let's have a look at the all-platform charts. So at number 10 in the charts this week, it's Minecraft, down one place from last week's number 9. Number 9 this week is Mario Kart 8 Deluxe, down one place from last week's number 8. Number 8 this week is Animal Crossing New Horizons, that's down three places from last week's number 5. Number 7 is Watch Dogs Legion, up three places from last week's number 10. Number 6 this week is a new entry, it's Hyrule Warriors Age of Calamity. And number 5 this week it's Fortnite The Last Laugh Bundle. Number 4 this week it's Assassin's Creed Valhalla, down three places from last week's number 1. And number three this week, it's Marvel's Spider-Man, Mars Morales, and that stays at number three, same as last week. Number two this week, it's FIFA 21, up two places from last week's number four. And at number one this week, it's Call of Duty Black Ops Cold War, up one place from last week's number two. Well, that is it for the charts this week, and next up, let's have a look at my review of Destiny 2 Beyond Light. Bungie dropped their latest update to Destiny 2 called Beyond Light on November the 10th and with it comes a bunch of changes, streamlining and improvements to the overall player experience. So this is very much more Destiny, so if you're a fan of the franchise then you'll likely enjoy the expansion. However, it's not without its controversy with sunsetting and many old weapons being removed plus the addition of Stasis, the new Cosmic Ice subclass and our Guardian walking the tightrope between the light and the dark. So first of all, we should start up with the campaign and all of our gear have been brought up to the new base power level of 1050 and we start out on Europa, so one of the frozen moons of Jupiter. A faction of the Fallen, led by Eremis, have set up camp here on Europa and they're in search of their new god, having been deserted by the Traveller many years ago. Eremis is leading a ragtag bunch of Fallen, the pirate race in the Destiny universe, and promises to share stasis with them, a new icy darkness ability that they're going to use to punish any followers of the Traveller. Varix, a returning character from Destiny 1, sent a distress call out and we've answered along with an unlikely fire team of the Drifter, Eris Morn and the Exo Stranger, another returning character from Destiny 1. So Drifter and Eris wield the light, but the Exo Stranger is a new addition with some very complex lore and backstory that is no doubt going to open up as the content unfolds all throughout the year that we have ahead of us in Beyond Light. And our job is to help out Varix and help him rid Europa of Eremis and her evil influence. The campaign is fairly standard as Destiny campaigns go. We travel around the new and existing destinations, levelling up and beating a variety of bosses. There's a good amount of storytelling and exposition with the new NPCs, and it feels like one of the best campaigns that we've had in Destiny since the Taken King and Forsaken. 
So Shadow Keep last year did feel a little bit bare bones. However, Bungie just had been through the split with Activision, who took away a considerable amount of development resources when they left. But on a positive note, they left Bungie on their own to take Destiny in their own direction, and they're leaning much more into the MMORPG elements of the game. So whereas before, the game could be clearly labelled as a looter shooter, now it's much more of an action MMO. So back to the campaign, the boss fights throughout felt entertaining and the final battle was quite satisfying. And much like other campaigns though, we didn't get too much of a build up with Eremis, so beating her in a relatively short campaign can feel a little bit hollow as we didn't really know her that well. At the end of the campaign we get our new stasis ability, so peppered throughout the campaign we had opportunities to use stasis, but getting it for real is saved for the post campaign, which is a little bit different from previous campaigns and DLCs that we've had in Destiny. Normally you kind of get it up front and get to use it all throughout the campaign, but this one you get at the end. Once you finish up the main campaign, there's a little bit of post-campaign too, and it's entertaining enough in its own right. We get to earn the new exotic stasis grenade launcher from one of the best missions in Destiny history, with our ghost doing an impression of the drifter, plus the exotic reward itself. And there's two post-campaign quest lines to do, one with Varax and one the Exo Stranger, and Varax's post-campaign missions open up an activity called Empire Hunts, which are repeatable activities where we face off against bosses from the campaign and give us access to the new Europa weapon set. The post-campaign missions with the Exo Stranger allow us to go after fragments and aspects and our new subclass customization suite of tools. Stasis is one of the main selling points of the DLC and we've been flirting with the darkness for some time and now we have our first opportunity to wield the darkness in the form of stasis. We've only got one stasis subclass at the moment with more promised in the coming years. So we already have two more DLCs planned, the Witch Queen in 2021 and Lightfall in 2022 and we're likely to get more stasis subclasses. So poison and earth abilities are currently being rumored at the moment. So stasis is absolutely game changing. It feels super Super powerful in PvE and pretty much game breaking in PvP, which has reignited the talks of splitting the sandbox in PvE and PvP. So having one global system that caters for all game modes is very tough, further highlighted this week when after only 7 days Stasis was nerfed for the Warlock class given its overpowered nature across all the game modes. The new aspects and fragments system is very very good and the opportunity for new and exciting builds is great, plus it unlocks over time so there's plenty to chase and go after week over week. The new location on Europa is absolutely beautiful, it's covered with ice and it's full of secrets, there's plenty of lost sectors, hidden loot chests and wide open spaces to explore. There are new types of public events and even new enemy types too with fallen brigs and the Vex Wyverns. So Bungie has introduced a dynamic weather system to the location too, so the wind picks up and the snow comes in, making it really hard to see. So the dynamic weather gives life and variety to the new location, and the only thing that it lacks really is a landing point to the north. The place is absolutely huge too, with Vex and Fallen being the main enemies in this location, and there's a bunch of Braytech Exoscience buildings there, as this is the birthplace of the Exos, although more on that with the lore with Clovis Bray later on. So let's have a chat about the loot, and there's been much talk in the build-up to Beyond Light due to sunsetting, with Bungie deciding to implement a power cap system, so a whole bunch of the weapons in the game cannot be infused, or their power level raised to the current level, so essentially making about 50% of the weapons in the game irrelevant. This made a whole bunch of people mad, and for good reason, we've been collecting this stuff for three years, so 
So Bungie did promise this removal process was making way for new loot that would be introduced, but currently in the game there's only about 35 or 40 new weapons, which seems way less than years before. And this is likely due to a resourcing issue, so we've got the new Europa set, we've got the Adept Trials weapons plus the new Seasonal weapons, and playlist-specific drops for Strikes, Crucible and Gambit, and there was a rapid outpouring of rage when the game was released, with many fans disappointed in the current levels of loot. So Bungie did respond fairly quickly by adding in Season 10 and Season 11 weapons back into the game and acknowledged things weren't as good as they could be. That new old loot is being added back into the game and that was added actually last week on the 24th of November. So as well as some of the weapons being sunset, four locations have been removed as well, as well as a bunch of legacy raids including Titan, Mars, Mercury and IO2. So the main playlists have been brought back into focus somewhat too, with Strikes, Gambit and Crucible taking more of a centre stage. So one of the main criticisms of Destiny 2 in the past is that to level up in the fastest way, players could just grind out bounties. So now Bungie has placed more emphasis on these core activities, allowing players to pick and choose which route they want to go in quests. So for example, with the new pursuit weapon for the season, so this is a quest for a sniper called Adored. So to get this one, you go to the tower, pick a variant from the gunsmith, and you can complete any playlist activity to get this sniper. Whereas before, it would have been locked behind a specific game mode. So this change is seen throughout other quests in Destiny 2 as well, and this is a really, really nice change. So many of the changes here affect existing players, but another big criticism of the game in the past was the way the onboarding process happened for new players. And this is called New Light, and it allows new players to get into the action straight away. So New Light was initially introduced into the game 12 months ago with a DLC called Shadowkeep. And it came in for a lot of criticism because you did a short quest and then were dropped into the tower, the central hub or home space in Destiny 2. And players were often overwhelmed with quests, NPCs and icons. So it was a confusing mess leading to many players simply bouncing out of that experience. Thankfully, the New Light player experience has had a complete overhaul and a new character has been introduced called Shawhan. And he walks you through the opening mission and you'll get introduced to all the new characters in the tower in a less confusing manner, although it's still not without some flaws. It does do a good job of explaining controls, mechanics, exploration, destinations and systems to new players and hopefully this will help fewer players bounce from that initial experience. The beauty of Destiny can be found within the endgame, but it does take some investment to get there and that isn't immediately obvious from these player onboarding processes and I can understand why so many players leave confused and frustrated. So break through that initial hard work though and you will be rewarded tenfold. So Beyond Light is full of secrets as you would expect. For example, there's a bunch of dead exos laying around on Europa and you have to find nine of them in total for a reward later on. We've got exotic weapon quests as well with some really powerful weapons including the Lament which is a chainsaw crossed with a sword and we've got Cloud Strike and that is a sniper that causes lightning to rain down on opponents on precision kills. And there's even a bunch of penguin collectibles to find although no one is sure what they mean yet. Lost Sectors have been improved too with Beyond Light and they've got this new Legend and Master difficulty and if you can beat them solo then you have a chance at a drop of new exotic armour. So this is really really cool and normally the exotic armour is just added into the world loot pool and you get them at random. However Legend Lost Sectors were initially tried out in Season 10 so that was March 2020 and proved to be such a big hit that Bungie decided to bring them back full time. And it would be great for Bungie to expand on this idea I reckon with so rewarding solo players who decide to take 
take on these tough challenges can only be a good thing. You know, I'd love to see more of this. Specific drops for strikes, crucible and gambit, even each lost sector or public event having specific weapons or armor. And if they were themed to that activity, even better. For example, if a big vex enemy is the boss in that lost sector, why not drop some of that armor made from his arms or legs or plating, you know, at the end? Trophies of enemies, much like Monster Hunter, can only be a good thing, especially in a game where you want to show off your achievements visually through the loot that you acquire. Another huge plus of this expansion so far has been the lore. So this is the storytelling and narrative weaved into the game, and Bungie hasn't always executed the story elements well in the game, but this is a massive improvement with the reintroduction of the Exo Stranger, Clovis Bray and Anna Bray. So here we have many story elements coming together, the origin story of the Exos, a mega corporation called Clovis Bray, headed up by a man with the same name who thinks he's a god and wants to dabble in immortality. So here with Beyond Light we've got science fiction being told at the very highest level and it makes me really excited for the next 12 months and what we're going to see. So if all that wasn't enough, we also have Season of the Hunt. Destiny 2's years, they're broken down into four seasons, normally lasting three months or so, although Covid may have something to say about that this time. We're currently in Season 12, which is Season of the Hunt, where we get another excellent story. So a former dead prince by the name of Aldrin Sov has returned to us with a new name called The Crow. In his former life, he murdered Cade Six, our former Hunter Vanguard, as part of the Forsaken expansion. He was brought back to life by a random ghost and now he's ironically working with a fallen kingpin on the tangled shore called the Spider. And this season also brings with it more story about the Hive and Zivu Arath, a Hive god of war as we look to build up to next year's expansion. We have a new activity called Wrathborn Hunts, which are a little bit like Monster Hunter Light, where we take on a boss and when they get low energy and they try and run, only for us to hunt them down and finish them off, leading to a bigger, harder boss who then turns up. It's a really cool new mechanic and it's a refreshing change from the public event style activities that we've been doing for the past 12 months. So there is plenty to be happy about with Destiny 2 Beyond Light. There is also room for improvement too, primarily concerning loot. So much of the content has been taken away with weapons, destinations, NPCs and lore. You know, the game was getting massive and it was trimmed from approximately 150 gigabytes down to about 70. And I would love to see more done with the old subclasses too. They instantly feel out of date and less powerful than the new stasis ability. But I guess that is a good selling point from Bungie. So loot is definitely the main concern at the moment and it'll be interesting to see what Bungie does in the long term. It's a tricky one to balance as they want players to use the new weapons and armour when they come out because it's a load of resources, time and effort that's gone into creating those. But personally, I am for sunsetting, but it's got to be done in the right way. And I think we're at the harshest moment right now concerning sunsetting and from here it's only going to get better. Well that is it for my review of Destiny 2 Beyond Light and let me know what you think down in the comments or by sending me a message via Patreon at patreon.com forward slash This Week in Video Games. But next up we've got another looter, this time it's a looter slasher and this one is Godfall. Godfall is a new looter slasher from Counterplay Games, showcasing the next generation of PlayStation if you manage to play it on the PlayStation 5, but it's also out on PC too. The game looks absolutely beautiful and it's fun at first, however scratch below the surface of the initial fun and you might be searching for a while if you're looking for a game with any depth. 
So Godfall looks fantastic, first of all. There's gold, there's jewels, there's armour everywhere, and an impressive array of weapons, mainly blades and knives. The environments will no doubt catch your eye, but unfortunately the gameplay isn't as well polished as the swords. Past that initial gorgeous aesthetic, there's not really much else to it unfortunately. Much like other loot based games like Destiny, you'll have loot dropping left, right and centre. However, a shallow endgame as well as repetitive action probably won't keep you coming back for more. In terms of the story, it's lacking in that department also. Players take on the role of Orin and you're warring with your brother, but beyond that it's quite hard to decipher any really meaningful story interaction. So if the story is thin, then the combat at least is a little meatier. Weapons have a weight to them and the combat initially does feel fun, but after a few hours with the game things quickly become stale. There are swords, hammers and other blades too, and you'll see plenty of them as the game isn't worried about showering you with loot. However, there's almost so much that you don't really know what to get excited about and what to ignore. This doesn't really have the depth of something like Demon's Souls or Ghost of Tsushima, and the battles can start to feel formulaic very quickly. On the plus side, the game is very easy to pick up and play, and this may be the greatest strength of it actually. Rather than a Destiny-style game where you sink in hundreds of hours into it, this could be a snackable action game where you pick up and put down after a few minutes. It's entirely possible to play for a few hours on end and chase the endgame loot, but there's not really much of an endgame to play once you're there. In regards to the controls, you can hack, you can slash, as well as defend with parry moves that do feel really satisfying, and there are a few combo moves which combined a few light attacks into a heavy attack, but the combos don't really go much deeper than that. There are collectibles in the game, but none of them are remarkable at all and quickly forgotten. The enemies you fight tend to look the same and don't really take much time to figure out on how to beat them. But levelling in the game is satisfying as games have learnt now how to tap directly into our brains and provide that quick boost of endorphins as we manage to get to the next level. Beyond the slightly satisfying levelling process though, these skill trees feel quite bland and predictable. So I've briefly talked about the weapons and I should touch on the armour too. So here they are called Valor Plates, and much like other looters these Valor Plates allow you to personalise your character, however they're a real grind to level up and include all kinds of materials from the game. Now I know what it's like to travel around the moon and collect something like helium filaments for hours only to level up a gun, and you know, so I'm not really new to this, but this felt obtuse and far too much for me. Godfall promised so much, but in the end didn't really deliver. The game is fun in short bursts, but it isn't really going to be your next hobby game, which you might have been hoping for. It's beautiful looking, and the art department has done a wonderful job, however the narrative and the gameplay just isn't there. It does feel like it's coming in a little hot, perhaps to be done in time for the next generation, and if you wanted to pick this up and reach the end game, it probably could be done in a few hours, but beyond that there's not really much to keep you sticking around. It's a shame, as I was looking forward to this one, but this is definitely more Anthem rather than Destiny. So it was developed by Counterplay Games and published by Gearbox Software. It's available on PC and PS5, and originally released on the 12th of November 2020. Well that is my review of Godfall and next up let's have a look at what we've got coming out in the next few weeks. So in the next few weeks on December the 1st we've got a few games, we've got Kronos Before the Ashes, that is PS4, Xbox One, Switch, Stadia and PC. We've got Empire of Sin, that's PS4, Xbox One, Switch, PC and Mac. We've got Rainbow Six Siege, that's PS5, Xbox Series X and S. And we've got Twin Mirror on PS4, Xbox One and PC. We've also got Worms Rumble, that is on PS5, PlayStation 4 and PC too. 
Then on December the 3rd, we've got Immortals Phoenix Rising. That is on PS5, Xbox Series X and S, PS4, Xbox One, Switch, Stadia and PC. So it's basically coming on everything. Then on December the 4th, we've got a slew of more games. So we've got Dragon Quest XI-S, Echoes of Elusive Age, Definitive Edition, coming out on PS4, Xbox One and PC. We've got FIFA 21, coming out on PS5 and Xbox Series S and X. We've got Fire Emblem, Shadow Dragon and the Blade of Light. And we've got Fitness Boxing 2, Rhythm and Exercise, and that is coming out on Nintendo Switch. We've also got John Wick Hex, that's on Xbox One and Switch. And then we've got Madden NFL 21 on PS5, Xbox Series S and X, and that is the final one coming out on December the 4th. Then on the 8th, we've got some more games. We've got Destiny 2, that's on PS5 and Xbox Series X. That is an upgrade. And we've got Destiny 2 Beyond Light, that is coming out on the same platforms again on the 8th. We've got Puyo Puyo Tetris 2, that's coming out on the PS5, Xbox Series S and X, PS4, Xbox One and Switch. We've got Temtem coming out on PS5. We've got Brigadine, The Legend of Runercia. That's on PS4. And we've got Cyberpunk 2077 coming out on PS5, Xbox Series S and X, PS4, Xbox One, Stadia and PC. We've got Haven as well coming out on PS5, Xbox Series S and X, Xbox One and PC. We've got Orwell's Animal Farm, that's coming out on PC. And we've got Sword of the Necromancer, PS4, Xbox One, Switch and PC. And Wood Salt coming on Switch and PC. So looking at those games, I'd be quite interested in Rainbow Six Siege coming out on the PS5. Worms Rumble looks quite fun. I'd be interested to play the Destiny 2 Beyond Light upgrade on PS5. That should be quite cool. And of course, Cyberpunk 2077 and the whole games industry, I think, is going to stop and play that game. Really, really looking forward to that one from CD Projekt Red. And let me know down in the comments or send me your message to be read out on the podcast at patreon.com forward slash this week in video games. Would really, really love to hear from you and what you're looking forward to in the next few weeks. Well, that is it for this week's episode. And if you want to get involved in the show, get in contact through patreon.com forward slash this week in video games or check out the latest on the website on thisweekinvideogames.com. Send in your questions, your comments, and your video game stories. I'm always interested in hearing from you. I'm also available on Twitter, Facebook, YouTube, and Instagram. So search This Week in Video Games on your favorite platform and join in that conversation. Well, thank you so much for watching or listening. And for more This Week in Video Game content like this, subscribe on YouTube and share with a friend. To join our community, check out the Discord link in the description. And you can follow me on Twitter at TWIVG Podcast. If you enjoyed this podcast or found it useful, liking and sharing it would really help me out. Otherwise, check out the other podcasts in the feed. Thanks again, and I'll see you soon.